Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. I am recording in a different location of my home today because upstairs there is a sporting game on that my partner had to watch and I don't want to stay up really late tonight so I just decided to record in another room so this room is bigger and it's mostly empty really yeah so it's probably gonna be some I don't know echoey sounds coming through but you know could be let's just pretend it's a a live show or something it'll be fun So my episode this week is probably going to be more not a whole episode. It might be like maybe 20, 25 minutes. I'm not too sure yet. I couldn't find much on it. I did find a few short documentaries. One was a forensic files episode, which I will link in the show notes. And I will link the other ones that I watched as well in the show notes. So the, the case I'm talking about today is takes place in 1998 on Valentine's Day, February 14th, which if I would have known about this case on Valentine's Day, it I could have did a double parter and I would have did the case that I did do on Valentine's Day and I would have did this case. I also could have waited until next Valentine's Day to do this case, but I couldn't hold on to it. I'm really bad with holding on to stuff like that. So I just... I just want to tell you. So 1998, February 14th, St. Michael's, Maryland Shore, USA. 35-year-old Steve Rico and his wife, 32-year-old Kim Rico, they had been having a bit of a rough go with their marriage. And about a year before this, Kim had actually asked Steve for a divorce. She was talking to him about like, what do you think about a divorce? And he was like, why do you want to divorce me? Like, I can work on myself. I can, I can be a better husband to you. And he was just really trying to make a good go of mending their marriage. So that Valentine's Day, he had booked them in to like a little cabin and at this resort that had these little cabins was a restaurant and that night they were going to go to like a murder mystery and dinner. So it was like a theater show and it was called The Bride Who Cried and the mystery was they, the crowd kind of had to play detective and figure out who killed the bride's groom. And that show started at 7 p.m. So 7 p.m., they get to the show, they find their table, they're, you know, Kim is saying hello to everybody, she's having a good time. Steve was more of an introvert, but he, although he was quiet, he was still having a good time. Like he was doing this for his wife. He wanted to be like, I'm fun. I can do social things. Like I'm going to take you out for a romantic weekend with something fun, which honestly, that sounds like such an awesome idea. Dinner and like an interactive murder mystery theater show. Yes, please. That's a cool plan. So the show ends and Steve and Kim go back to their cabin. According to Kim, her and Steve get into a fight because he's trying to pressure her into having sex and she doesn't want to. So she leaves the cabin and she drives around looking 
to go to her friend's house, but she got lost on the interstate or she couldn't find a road and she ended up driving around for like two hours before making her way back to the cabin. When she pulls up to the cabin, to where the cabins are, she notices that hers is on fire. So she she's freaking out and she drives up to reception and she's like oh no my cabin's on fire and they're like what and 911's called and and they run in there but um he but her husband steve was very noticeably dead when the cops arrive they assess the scene and steve's head and chest had been very badly burned like to the point where he was unrecognizable Steve was laying on the floor between the two beds with his pants around his ankles and two pillows under his head. Around his body were scattered a few beer bottles, a Playboy magazine, and an open um, package of cigars with one cigar missing. To police, this looked like some sort of smoking accident. So he was drinking and maybe he fell asleep smoking his cigar and that lit the carpet on fire or the hotel bedding on fire, which started the blaze. And because he was maybe the smoke had, he had inhaled the smoke, passed out and then was burned to the point where he was unrecognizable. They also noticed a plastic bottle, which can indicate the direction that the fire burns because wherever the heat's coming from, the plastic kind of twists and points in that direction. Michael Mulligan, the fire investigator, who was the deputy fire marshal of that area, they ruled out other possibilities of how the fire had started, such as the electric fireplace. So it seemed that the cigar had started it, but what they couldn't find was the cigar butt. So where was the cigar butt? They had they had the pack of cigars with one missing out of it, but they couldn't find the missing cigar. Dr. David Fowler, he was the one who did the autopsy and with the blood tests, he found normal levels of carbon monoxide, which is weird because if you die of smoke inhalation, you will have high levels of carbon monoxide in your system, in your blood, and they did not find that. When the when Dr. Fowler started looking into Steve's lungs. Um, he thought surely he would see some, some signs that he had died from breathing in smoke, like such as seeing soot or other indications of dying this way. But he had a look, guess what? No soot. There was no soot, which means Steve had stopped breathing before that fire started. Police tried to recreate the scene, but they, they couldn't because they could not get, they used the same brand of cigars, they used the same bedding and fabrics from the hotel, and as much as they tried, they couldn't get it to start a fire like the one they had seen. And this hotel, and I'm sure many other hotels, were using flame retardant sheets, pillowcases, they use like covers that it's like, you know, it, it could start a fire if you poured an accelerant on it, but it wouldn't if you just like dropped a cigarette on it or something. 
And that's for safety reasons, obviously. Some people do fall asleep smoking cigars, cigarettes, joints, whatever. It happens. Beds have caught on fire and people's houses have burned down this way. So this isn't something new. But they they couldn't get this exact situation to play out the way that it was, you know, looking, I guess. So they go back to the scene, but this time they bring a sniffer dog. And this sniffer dog is trained in sniffing for accelerants. So they're walking him around the room and he hits on a spot at the foot of the bed, meaning an accelerant was used in that spot. This is that dog's job. This is what he does. He sniffs it, he hits on it. He alerts them, they take some samples from that area, they go to get it tested, but unfortunately they couldn't find any traces of accelerant in the samples that they had taken. The fire marshal was like, hmm, this is a weird scene. We've got a cigar, but no evidence of a cigar that was lit and smoked. We have friends telling police Steve never smoked cigars when they investigated. Um, and talked to his friends. They were like, no, Steve doesn't smoke. And Kim was like, yeah, he sometimes smokes when he drinks. And his friends were like, no, he doesn't. Actually, at a golf game one time, we offered him a very high-end amazing cigar. And he said, quote, I don't understand why people smoke those things. Like, it was almost like he was disgusted by them. So anyways, they also, you know, the the fire marshal was like, "Mm, well, We also got dogs sniffing accelerant and a dead man with no evidence of being alive when the fire started, so he ruled it as arson. Another disturbing find was Steve had no alcohol in his system, or he did, but it was extremely minimal, like perhaps one drink at dinner. He was not drunk when the fire started, and why were there all these empty beer bottles around him at the scene if he wasn't drinking and Kim says she wasn't there? Also, why did Kim tell police Steve was drinking heavily that night? Because, you know, the blood alcohol, that's uh, telling a different story there, Kimmy. (sighs) Okay, so let's look. So, you know, police are obviously going to look at Kim, his spouse, because... You know, it's always the closest people to you. So police start looking into who could benefit. Who could benefit from from Steve's death? Like, let's just have a look into that. Let's see what was happening. And they find out that Steve has a $400,000 life insurance on him. And the person to receive that, well, that would be his beloved wife, Kim. The same person who had also previously purchased an additional $250,000 for Steve's life insurance not long before the dodgy cigar fire. I think it was like a month or so before or something like that. This makes Kim look very suspicious as she was re- she was going to receive a large sum of money if Steve died. And I'm not sure what the insurance policy was saying, but death by accident, I think you get like maximum payout. To really top this off, investigators found love letters to Kim from her lover. She was having an affair for the last five months. Now we have two of the most popular motives for murder, money and affair. Please go and ask her about this. They were like, you have, you're set to receive a lot of insurance money 
from Steve's death, we found all these love letters of you having an affair. Like, do you have something to do with this? And she was like, who, me? Like, no. And Kim tells police the story that Steve wanted to have sex with her that night of the murder mystery dinner on Valentine's Day, but she didn't want to. They had an argument and that's why she left. So at the time, Kim was a medical technician and correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone's a medical technician out there and I'm getting this wrong, this would be in America, um, that it basically is like you clean and sterilize medical equipment, you can work in the labs, testing blood for drug levels, uh, assist OR doctors and nurses with um, gowns, gloves, and, and scrubs in like for during surgery. Before the fire incident, which Steve was found dead, Kim had been talking to a coworker at work about killing her husband, as in like asking her coworker to do it. One documentary, it even said that she had offered him $50,000 and he thought she was joking. I have heard this situation a lot in cases, so it's not uncommon for people to bring it up as a joke then they will gauge the reaction they get and then proceed from there depending on you know the reaction they get from the person so like an example we can use this case as an example so kim would go to work and be like oh gosh yeah i'll pay you fifty thousand dollars to kill my husband ha 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 and then her co-worker would have been like whoa um no but he didn't say no. He joked back about perhaps using a drug called succinylcholine, um, which they used in the hospital for surgery. Whether he meant it as a joke or not, it gave her, it gave Kim an idea. Enough succinylcholine would put Steve to sleep forever. And... Kim had access to it. It works by causing short-term paralysis and is used as a general anesthesia for surgeries. So if they have to put a tube down in your throat, they can give you some succinylcholine. It relaxes you. They can get a tube down. Um, but like I said, too much can, can kill a person. And the drug is untraceable because the body's enzymes break it down really fast, like immediately within five to six minutes, there's no traces. Honestly, I'm not sure if something like this should be kept so willy-nilly, even in a hospital. Kim had access to this as she assisted in operations. And this drug at that time, um, I still don't think it is, but was not classified as a narcotic. Therefore, the same care of monitoring or accounting for it was less strict. So drugs that get you high are closely monitored and accounted for, but drugs that can kill someone without leaving a trace that are literally a murderer's dream are not. Police looked for any test that could ID succinylcholine in a, in a person's body, but it just didn't exist at the time. So they turned their attention back to some good old police work. They were like, hey, let's ask the shop about Steve buying the cigars and beer. So they find the shop. They showed the clerk 
a picture and they were like did this guy buy beer and cigars here and she said no but she did pointing at kim his wife who was also in the photograph the clerk remembered kim because they had a weird conversation and as somebody who has worked a lot of customer service you don't remember everybody but there are some people you have conversations with that you get a weird vibe or the person is rude especially if they're rude you will remember them forever like you'll see them walking down the street and you'll be like there's that bitch that yelled at me because her coffee was too cold one time 10 years ago (laughs) i don't know if that's just me but it really sticks and that's what happened in this situation so kim went in there to buy the beer and she also bought a pack of cigars and the clerk complimented kim on her hair and had asked her like wow where do you get your hair done like i really love that color it was a it was red kim's hair was red and kim got all defensive and started acting rude and was being really cagey and she was like i don't dye my hair this is natural and the clerk was like right okay and that is why the clerk specifically remembers kim buying the beer and cigars the police matched the price tag from the cigars found by steven's body and they matched them with the ones at the shop while police were investigating kim she was demanding that steve's body be cremated and people also noticed she didn't really want anything much to do with the funeral arrangements and then when it came time to the funeral some people say that i know we all grieve differently but they were saying that she didn't seem to be grieving at the funeral and i guess she wasn't acting like a woman who had just lost her husband of eight years so people were getting quite suspicious the police arrested kim on charges of first degree murder and arson to which she denied and pleaded not guilty january 16th 1999 is when kim's trial starts although they had no forensic evidence of the succinylcholine in his system and they had no evidence of the accelerant used to start the fire the main part of this case in court was the people that testified kenneth burgess he testified and that's the co-worker who kim had asked to kill her husband for fifty thousand dollars brad winkler he was somebody else who testified and that is who kim had had an affair with for the last five months Teresa Armstrong was another co-worker that Kim had had and Kim had told her that she wanted to kill Steve for the life insurance money so that's very damning evidence and another co-worker testified Jennifer Gowan and she said that Kim had told her that she that Kim wanted to kill Steve to avoid a custody battle as they as they had a daughter together and Kim wanted a divorce so she figured it would be easier to kill Steve than it would be to sort out custody in the divorce another woman named Rachel McCoy testified and this was Kim's friend from college and this was perhaps the most damning testimony 
Kim told Rachel that she was going to kill her husband and she was going to use something that would paralyze him. So basically succinylcholine. And she even went into detail about starting a fire to blame the death on smoke inhalation. So she basically word for word described what she was going to do. So this would be a crazy coincidence that Kim would be going around telling her coworkers how she wanted her husband to die because of custody battles and insurance money and that she was going to kill him by injecting him with something that paralyzes him and then start a fire and then blame it on that if she didn't mean it because then it actually did happen. So, I mean, you can see why these testimonies were so damning and you know what she might have actually got away with it if it if it wasn't for the testimonies the jury found 32 year old kim rico guilty of first degree murder and first degree arson kim was sentenced to life in prison from this case scientists have developed a way to detect succinylcholine in tissue even if that tissue has been embalmed which means nobody can get away with using it and not have scientific evidence of it so amazing that scientific advancements came out of this case but also very unfortunate steve rico had to lose his life so that concludes this week's case please go over to the instagram or facebook of hell no a true crime podcast to see photos um, pertaining to this case Thank you so much for listening. I will link my sources in the show notes. And to Kim Rico, I say hell no. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye.